0: The people I want to surround myself with are those people that smile a bit easier, laugh a bit easier um, and are, are happy to be vulnerable and open because I think that's where you make the really interesting connections.
1: Welcome to the Humorology Podcast with me, Paul Barros, and my glittering lineup of guests from the worlds of business, sport, and entertainment who are here to share their wisdom and their use of humor with you. Humorology is the study of how humor can dramatically improve your business success and your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock, and puts a punchline back into your bottom line. Please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. My guest on this edition of the Humorology podcast is a political pundit and journalist who is well known for sharing her unapologetic takes on the British government. She began her career in the Twitterverse and now has nearly a quarter of a million followers. In addition to providing insightful and thought-provoking political commentary, she has been featured on many political talk shows, including Channel 5's The Jeremy Vine Show, Piers Morgan Uncensored, and as the host of The Table on Byline TV. She is also the co-host and creator with Gemma Forte of the political podcast The Troll, where they doom-scroll the political side of Twitter, so you don't have to. Marina Perkis, welcome to the Humorology podcast.
0: Thank you, Paul. That was a wonderful intro. Well, it, it, <laughs> the best was my had.
1: <laughs> well, bless you. It's all just true, though. And uh, I'm a big fan. I, I, I really uh, enjoy your tweets and I follow you on both sort of Jeremy Vine and that's on the table. Um, fantastic stuff. But I'd like to take you right back to the beginning, your early years. Uh, when you were growing up, I, I understand that you were from first-generation Italian parents. Was humour actually valued in the family?
0: My mother, well, my parents are very strict. So they are Sicilian immigrants, Catholic, um, church every Sunday. You know, no sleepovers allowed. They really made us work, um, <laughs> but um, it was, it was it was joyous as well. I make it sound awful, but um, there wasn't too much humour. But if I look back now. Mum was very serious. Dad was very serious as well because there was such pressure to, to earn money. We, did, you know, we weren't well off at all. Dad was working all kinds of jobs. Mum did whatever she could as well. Um, so I don't, I don't think humour was a massive feature. But I think for me, Paul, um, I was a real ugly duckling. Let's put it that way. And when you're an ugly duckling, you really have to develop a personality Otherwise, you're going to struggle through school. <laughs> so I think that's where humour humor became something to nurture and to, to re-leverage for me.
1: So so how did that affect you at school? I mean, uh, would, were you the centre of attention? Did you have what they'd call a show-off gene?
0: No, I, well, I certainly wasn't the centre of attention, but I, um, I suppose that was the only way I could, you know, get people to, to take an interest in me, I guess because I was the very sort of chubby, um, you know, very dark-haired, big, thick eyebrows, very much an Italian child. <laughs> and um, you've got to stand out one way or another, and that was my way, I guess, of trying to be sort of dominant and a little bit funny.
1: Well, I, as you say a little bit funny. So, I mean, how old were you when you realised that, that humour could be the way to forge better relationships?
0: Um. Honestly, I I think it's something that's still growing now. I didn't even. I I think I'm I'm noticing it more and more. And it's not something I've ever tried to be. I just think I'm seeing now that it's a really great way to forge relationships. And I think actually it exposes you because the moment you're happy to put yourself out there and be vulnerable in being funny I think people see that there is an in and there is a way to connect with you rather than always being a very serious person
1: I think that's very true and that's what the whole humorology project is all around is how that humor can be uh, that bridge between people now humor I'm talking about is the lightness of touch the you know the love the connection Uh, but you also talked about your uh, parents being hardworking. working what's that determination, that resilience of, and, and broad humour forged by their environment and their beginnings?
0: I don't think so. Sadly not. I think my mum and dad had quite a tough upbringing. So we didn't see that much lightness, if I'm honest. What I will say is my dad now in retirement is a far more, he's, an, he's a much less serious character than he was. And he can have a laugh. And to be honest, I think a lot of it is linked to the fact that he makes his own wine pool. He has a good supply of homemade wine. And I think that helps him in terms of like, you know, laughing that bit easier. And so I'd like to think I've probably got a bit of that from my dad. But mum is very serious, very serious person.
1: It's interesting that you you, you keep saying your mum's a very serious per, uh, person. So, well, the family had sort of two sides to it, didn't they? Because oh, there's a saying that families that laugh together stay together. But you're you're showing the other side of it.
0: Oh God, it sounds awful. But I don't remember. I don't remember much laughter growing up. It was all a bit hard knocks. You know, it was it was you know it was it was quite tough growing up. Uh, we didn't have ev- everything and mum and dad were really under pressure, like every penny was saved. But that's the uh,
1: the immigrant story, isn't it? Yeah, You've got absolutely. to work sort of two or three times as hard mm. in order to move forward and mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I get that. Well, what's, uh, it's funny because I talk about my father's uh, immigrant story because when my father was 17, he was already in the second world war. He's, he's, he's been dead six years now, but, and you know, then there was the uprising in Hungary when the Russians came in and he had to escape and everything. But my father had this strange um, joy and he said, I'm lucky. And he'd probably had one of the unluckiest lives of anybody he knew Mm. because He'd been through wars and uprisings and had to escape and, and, you know, camps and things and refugee status and making a new life for himself. So how much do you think attitude is important to moving forward?
0: Oh, absolutely huge, huge. And I think people that practice things like gratitude and people that understand how fortunate they are, are I think much more inclined to be happier people, and to laugh a little bit easier. And I'd like to think that's me. So I, when I look around, in fact, I'm not. I'm not religious. I, even though I was brought up with Sicilian Catholic parents, uh, I suppose I used to used to be religious. Used to believe there was a God. I used to go to bed and say a prayer every night, and I still do. But it's not necessarily to a God or or what it's just to to the, put it out there to the universe. And I'm always very All I do is say thank you. Thank you for my amazing husband, my amazing family, my health, everything, my job, everything that I'm grateful for. And I think being appreciative and having that attitude is the one that paves the way for really good things because I think people respond well to people who are positive, who have got high energy, who they like to be around. Even in my work, whether that's my day job, which is nothing to do by the way with the political commentary, or whether it is in this new sort of showbiz, glitz, glitzy political, you know, venture. Um, the people I want to surround myself with are those people that smile a bit easier, laugh a bit easier, um, and are, are happy to be vulnerable and open, because I think that's where you make the really interesting connections.
1: I, I love uh, that whole attitude of gratitude thing, Um, but I think it's very true and and the whole humorology project is around um, what are those differences that make a difference and why are people successful? And do you think that just that easy laughter, the people who laugh easiest who can laugh at
0: themselves, actually, is is it important,
1: you think, to Mm. be able to laugh at yourself?
0: I think so. And I think actually, this is interesting. So if you look at the different types of leadership, you've got leadership. Like, for example, I've worked in businesses where the bosses have been, you know, not able to laugh at themselves. Very serious. They rule with an iron fist. You know, there's no self-deprecation there whatsoever. And I think that fosters an environment that's just not conducive to people being at ease. People being able to bring their true selves to work. And it's a bit driven by ego at the top. Whereas actually I've then worked for bosses and leaders who aren't like that, who can show vulnerability, who can laugh a little bit easier. I mean, you don't want a buffoon, of course. We've just had a buffoon who's just left number 10, of course. Um, but but you want someone who can who can just smile at the funny things and who can just be a little bit vulnerable every now and then, who can make a little bit of a joke. And I think also, work needs to be a place where you can have a laugh. The amount of time, the amount of hours that we spend at work, we, it needs to be an environment that you're happy in. And when I'm happy, I'm most productive. So that's why I think it's very important to have that type of leadership style. Oh, we've
1: had um, William Hague, who was superb on the podcast, and he said he knew Thatcher and he said she was not funny. She didn't have a sense of humour. And mm-hmm. I just wonder, if is that now going to be a hindrance because do modern day politicians have to have charisma have to have a sense of humor in order to really connect with the public
0: well interestingly i think this is where because we are sliding more and more towards populism i think this perception of a leader having to be funny or entertaining is becoming more and more of a thing because we're almost blending our entertainment and our politics you look over the across the atlantic to trump who was basically a you know TV star. He was a re- reality show TV star. And then you look over here and you know, you see Vox Pops, for example, up and down the country of why people like Boris Johnson or liked Boris Johnson, and it was because they thought they could go for a pint with him, or they liked his funny hair, or they thought he was funny just in general. And actually, I've I've said this before on my Twitter, you know, if if you want to a clown go to the circus.
1: I, I love your Twitter feed and I encourage everybody to uh, to go and look at it because you do argue with passion, uh, with humanity, for social justice, but wit is really important in that mix because I think that's what gives you the cut through. Um, mm-hmm. And do you think that people's attention spans are that much shorter now, that they need a, a quick jibe, if you like?
0: Teeny tiny. We I've got it as well. I have to jewel in these days because it's almost like one piece of content isn't enough. I need to have two pieces of content on the go or I can't just be doing my hair. I have to be listening to a podcast at the same time. If it's dead time, it's wasted time. So if you can deliver information and you can entertain at the same time, this is where you're winning. And this is where I think Boris Johnson, as much as I just dis- despair at him, he had something because he could land a message through humour, through wit. And I think what we're seeing, sadly, if you look at the opposition, for example, you know, Keir gets criticised because there's lack of charisma, people think he's dull, and it's a shame because leaders, it's fine if they're dull, but actually people are looking for someone to connect with them, and humour and wit is a great way for that, them to do that.
1: Well, do you think that the, the Labour is, is missing a trick by not actually putting the people who are more naturally charismatic and more naturally witty up uh, Mm. for for those positions.
0: I think time will tell. I'm still I think I've I've been quite disappointed with with Keir Starmer. I'm just desperate for the Tory government to be out. And um, obviously, it looks like Labour are the people to replace. Keir Starmer has let me down but I think that's more of a policy thing I'm not let down so much by his charisma more of his you know not standing shoulder to shoulder with the unions not talking a bit more open-mindedly about the single market and customs union that sort of thing and I suppose a bit of it is charisma because look the British public clearly have an appetite for a leader with charisma and it looks, like, it looks like Starmer is falling short there. So perhaps, I mean, I, who would be the Labour Party candidate who is funny? I think there, um, Jess Phillips, for instance,
1: mm-hmm. is fun and funny. Uh, I, I've met Jess and she's, you know, but is she too out there for uh, the general public? Uh, is, mm-hmm. is everybody scared that humour, suddenly you're, you know, you know they'll turn into Joe lysett uh, um, <laughs> if only <laughs> <laughs> but you see what I mean that there's a fear factor there that mm. they don't want to go
0: that far I'm i am not honestly I don't know I'm not sure I think Keir Starmer was chosen because he was uh, he promised that he would continue with the the, the the Corbyn manifesto that was really popular and the 10 pledges I think it was 10 pledges that he made I don't know that humor or charisma came into it I think it was more about manifesto type promises that said depending on how Keir Starmer does over the next two years maybe the Labour Party will need to start thinking about actually we need a leader that's going to connect on a more charismatic witty whatever basis and if that is the person if that that is what they're after no one massively springs to mind I actually think Angela Rayner has has got a good sense of humour but my concern is that she is too Different. She is, she looks different. She sounds different. People aren't ready for her yet, which is a shame. I think she's great. I think she's really strong. I think when she's in PMQs and standing in for Keir Starmer, she absolutely annihilates the opposition. And she does so with humour, by the way, at times as well. Got a little bit of a, you know, cheekiness to her, which if it were Johnson, if it were a white male, you know, like Cameron, like Starmer, that looks like, the next type of leader that we're all familiar with, I think she'd be in, but the fact is she doesn't. She's a woman, she's a fiery redhead, and she's got an accent and she's working class, which I think are all pluses, but other people, it's just too much change all at once. Well, do you think as a country, we we
1: actually doff our caps too much to, and you know, because we've had 20 prime ministers that went to Eton, for instance, you know Paul, is there <laughs> I
0: dispa- I despair at this but but I understand it. We are so deferential as a country. The reason I understand it Paul is because I was the person that used to tug my forelock and doff my cap because I'm work very working class background and although for some reason on Twitter people seem to think I'm not I get called a posh bird someone accused me of being the daughter of a baronet and a public school girl the other day I couldn't be further from that don't be wrong my accent has you know become more posh if you want to call it that as I've got older but like you know absolutely not but when I was growing up Probably till about my early thirties. bear one of thirty-seven now, losing count. Thirty-seven now. um, I used to just assume that people who sounded posh were better than me, were more intelligent, were 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 just it was their God-given right to be in these positions of power. And only recently have I actually really realised. I mean, you just need to look at the likes of Jacob Rees-Mogg, for example, to learn that people are very much like Harry Enfield's character, Tim, nice, but dim, completely <laughs> dim. And yet they are taught this manner of delivering information and this conviction, this confidence where people like me are like, well, oh, he sounds like he knows what he's doing. And we just believe it and we just go, yeah, trust you, go and do it.
1: I, I agree. And, and by the way, I think there is a correlation between uh, confidence and humour. I think that if if you are given that confidence by going to Eton and Oxbridge and everything, I think you are therefore perceived as more funny, even mm-hmm. if you're not witty at all, by having the um, ability to stand there and and expect the laugh. Mm-hmm. If you see what I mean, I think there's uh, because humour. I mean, I spent ten years of my life working the comedy store. Humour is about confidence as well it's about that uh, being there and and expecting everybody to go with you because there's a saying in psychology that if you want anybody to go into any state you have to go into that state first mm-hmm. so everything but um, as i was listening to you talk i thought well is marina going to throw her hat into the political ring at any point <laughs>
0: I think the nature of my Twitter ramblings um, probably preclude me from ever being allowed (laughs) to be a politician. Um, You say that
1: didn't do Donald Trump any harm, did it?
0: (sighs) This is true. Maybe I expect more from our politicians, though. I don't expect them to be quite as uh, direct, shall we put it, or loose lipped as I have been on my public platform
1: but uh, but i actually think cuz i used to live in america i think we're about 5 to 7 years behind america and you talked earlier on about populism but suddenly i think we might catch up and somebody who's actually saying what they think might become very 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 in vogue if you like mm. at, at yeah. the time
0: i think and i think we're seeing that with this rising popularity of people like mick lynch and eddie dempsey because actually they're oh, i mean we're, we're hearing things come out now which are a bit dodgy about the links to this that, and the other but if you just take it at face value about what they've been talking about recently regarding the strikes the reason for strikes the inequality in this country and the, the need to redistribute wealth they deliver it in such a way that's so direct also i love the accents i love their accents and i think people need to learn that that a Cockney accent doesn't mean that you're like I don't less intelligent or less deserving of the airtime or whatever than those with a posh accents. But what they've been doing is is speaking without agenda, without fear, really directly. They're not afraid to deviate from a script, which sadly I think we see a lot with our politicians. Even Kish I think you see this like rigid st- sticking to a to a script. And the reason they've become almost like hailed as heroes. Is because we're so starved of this straight talking approach now. Um, so possibly there could be an appetite for someone just to come in and have that approach. If it's me, no, I I, I can't I can't see it. honestly, Paul. It's a nice, thank you, very complimentary thing to say, but I, I can't see it. this is all very new to me. Don't forget, like I only this this sort of political commentator thing I only really kicked off uh, what in twenty twenty for me. It's all very, very new.
1: Never say never, Marina.
0: Never
1: say never. Yeah, It's interesting because I'm I'm good friends with Paul Merton, who is one of the most intelligent people I know. I mean, such a sharp brain. But Mm. he's, I think, Have I Got News For You, he's been on for 30 plus years. And that whole thing with Paul and Ian Mm. is the classic British battle, isn't it? between the working class and the perceived upper class. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a very good indicator of actually how a bright working class in inverted commas uh, person can be perceived. So maybe there is going to become a time when it is valued.
0: I hope so. And I hope hope this deference to the posh, whatever, Mm. the upper class, I hope it's something that disappears, but, you know, it's, it's it's there with our monarchy, right? It starts with the monarchy, yeah. filters down through, you know, our lords and our ladies and baronets and all the rest of it, and then, you know, keeps us us prolies in our positions.
1: Well, it does go back to the Frost Report, doesn't it? I don't know, you're far too young to remember, but John Clears and um, uh, Ronnie Barker and Ronnie Corbett all standing in a mm, row. Mm,
0: I do and, remember that
1: you know um uh, i'm upper class i look mm-hmm. down on him i'm middle class i look down mm-hmm. on him but i look up to him and then ronnie corbett says the classic i know my
0: place yep and i think that's what we see by the way and the and the red the right wing rags, as I call them, perpetuate this because they keep us warring and battling amongst ourselves down here. Well, this my neighbor over there has got a bit more than me or this immigrant over there. Why should they have more than me or this personal benefits? And actually, while we're here, just quarreling amongst ourselves, we're not we're distracted and we're not looking up here at what our politicians are doing with their corruption and with their rule breaking, with their law breaking now, with their subverting and shattering of our democracy. And I think that's that's part of the plan.
1: It's what I call in um, the, the magician's, um, you know, miss, uh, what's it called? The magician's misdirection. Mm. It's, it's constantly look over here. And I think that in a, in a, a comedic way, Boris Johnson will talk about something like kippers. Mm-hmm. So the next day in the paper, everybody will talk about kippers or just recently kettles, buy mm-hmm. a new kettle. Mm-hmm. Actually, maybe he just talks about things with K's, because he thinks <laughs> K's are funny.
0: Uh, but um, he's nailed it there, because if you think about it, those are, the, those are the takeaways that you and I have had from those speeches. Kippers, yeah. kettles, other things beginning with K. Um, the gaffs he makes, the pepper Pig world, for example, we take something away from them. Whereas actually, if you think to other speeches that politicians give, we take nothing from them. So at least they're memorable. So he's he's on to something there, and I think that that's why so many of our politicians, I think, make that, and not even just politicians, even just people in business, when they're giving business, like holding business meetings, it's almost like they assume this very professional stance, and nothing can be funny, and they just got to deliver details. But actually, I just think that's really hard for people to engage with. So even when I'm in my again in my day job. I try to there's nothing wrong with injecting levity into it because actually that makes people relax a bit more it makes people tune in in a different way and actually if you set the tone and go this is just gonna be a conversation between us it doesn't have to be full of jargon it can be we can laugh at this or the fact that we did this and it didn't work it was a flop so let's try this and stuff and I think this is it just allows for a much more fluid conversation and for things to be remembered rather than like Fact, figure, data, bullet point, blah, 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 which doesn't
1: doesn't do it for me. Well, by the way, from a psychological perspective, you're one hundred percent right because it's emotions, and we go back to um, uh, when you um, got fired up for politics in twenty sixteen. The reason that you got fired up was because of Brexit. But what you have to admit, I well, I have to admit as well, is that they told a better story. Mm-hmm. They, they, they 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 told a better emotional story uh that engaged people i mean it and was a
0: fairy tale that's of course uh, it was but <laughs> a fairy tale that never came true with unicorns and goblins and other mystical creatures but they told a story all right and the remain failed to do even that yeah
1: and, uh, and unfortunately, that's what wins. And, and what you were just saying, it's very, really, we, you know, The troll. your podcast, is, is scrolling through Twitter, as I said before, so uh, we don't have to. But that will take a day of that, and then they'll introduce something else. So it's kind of like they've uh, taken humour and used it as a weapon Uh, of mass distraction, if you like. Yeah.
0: I mean, it was Roger Rabbit, actually. So this probably goes back to when I was a kid. Roger Rabbit, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Great film. Got it. as my first ever VHS videos as a gift for my birthday. And there is a line in it. So don't forget, why was Jessica Rabbit with Roger Rabbit? She was asked. And she said, he makes me laugh. He makes me laugh. And there's a bit where um, Roger Rabbit said to the FBI agent or whatever he is in it, the agent in it. He said, um, laughter is, is, a, is the most power, one of the most powerful things. Sometimes it's the only weapon you have. And I think that's so important. Roger Rabbit was on the money.
1: Well, I, I, and I suppose that the, the fact that you can take something dark and mm. make light of it is what I would call a superpower and also something that we need uh, to have a resilience um, to everything that's going on. I mean, do you find yourself because you, you go, you know, you get, you do so many tweets, you do Mm -hmm. get so involved in this stuff. Do you think that that you have to have some humor to keep the resilience in there to keep going against all these uh, things that are, are hitting you every
0: day? it's a coping mechanism genuinely it's a coping mechanism because like many people have said if you don't laugh you will cry if you look at what's happened to this country if you look at the legacy for example of boris johnson the fact that we are more divided more impoverished more isolated more broken as an economy just everything is everything is worse now and it's it doesn't look like it's getting better i think this cost of living crisis what it's gonna do to people, what it's gonna do to businesses, schools, hospitals, pubs, restaurants, whatever. Everything is really bleak. And then you've got everything with Brexit, and oh, anyway, basically, it's not looking great. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business
1: was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at Burrow.com ACAST.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out
0: that's what I guess we do in the troll. We almost like look at what's going on and people's responses to it that just try and bring a little bit of levity to it. Now, some of it you can't, right? You can't bring levity to the fact that children are going hungry or that people will freeze, but you can almost laugh in despair at the state of play um, because otherwise what else can you do? It is too depressing. It's too, I don't think I'd be able to do this if all of my tweets and some of them are very serious. Just trying to break down what's happening. But if all of it were very serious, I don't think it'd be sustainable. I think I'd be a very miserable person.
1: Now, we had um, John O'Farrell on the podcast, who's a, a brilliant writer and uh, and very involved in politics as well. And he was originally on Have I Got News For You? He was on Spitting Image before that. And he says he despairs. And I wonder if somebody from the Twitter sphere, who's really knows this stuff, he worries that by sharing a meme or a joke, part of us, and I think this, as a psychologist, I, I worry as well, part of us thinks we've done the job by sharing it rather than marching on the streets. Or, or mm. doing something we we've we've done something to to break it, and then we let go and yes then...
0: yeah I think John's onto something there it's it, social media allows us room to vent and get things on our chest off our chest sorry and is this perhaps why we're not mobilizing we're not taking to the streets why were they able in an you know in an age of you know without social media without this ability to connect? They were able to mobilise. They were able to have these poll tax riots, which changed the course of history. Now, like you say, we go on. I put a tweet out there. It gets a few thousand likes, and then we move on to the next scandal. But but there is an appetite to do it. But you know what it is for me, honestly, people. I think it is. Everyone, we've we've done. We've marched. We've signed hundreds of petitions. We've. I've spoken at protests. Nothing has any impact anymore i mean you have to just look to the heart of government and look at some of the the law breaking the rule breaking the breaking of ministerial code for example the uh just you know the the fact that there's this good chap's guide of government that is completely just has been annihilated basically writing rewriting of rules nothing matters anymore so people have lost faith that their action is going to do anything so what do we do we take to twitter We have a moan, a whinge, a joke, and we get through it.
1: Yeah, but is that it then? That are we going to? Because uh, have have we been nullified on some level by uh, doing this and going? Look at us. We're we're you know thousands of us have liked this tweet.
0: And you know what it is as well, Paul. We've we've only got so much capacity for this stuff. You know, everyone's got their lives they're, they're dealing with. They're dealing with their bills, their kids, their jobs, wanting to watch Coronation Street, wanting to watch their Netflix series. They can only take on so much. And this is part of, don't forget, this was Johnson's strategy, probably inspired by, um, what's his name, the guy, uh, Bannon, who said... Steve I think was, Bannon. Steve Bannon, who said, flood the zone with shit. I hope that's okay to say on the podcast. Um, which, which is a great strategy because when there's so much stuff going on, it's hard to know what to turn your attention to because if you focus too much on this, then before you know it, the next scandal has started um, uh, you know, uh, playing out. And Boris Johnson was interviewed on this. An interview surfaced actually a few months ago. I, I, I shared it myself that he said his strategy when he became leader would be to make so many gaffes that basically the media wouldn't know what to focus on and while they're all like in chaos not knowing what to do he would i quote drop depth charges i think that was a term he used so he could just go off and do what he needed to do and essentially that's what he's done
1: well, it's the same. I mean, Steve Bannon advised Trump. and Steve mm. Bannon advised Orbán in Hungary. Steve Bannon was said to—I don't want to get into to have advised uh, some people in the Tory Party. I don't know if it was Boris Johnson, mm. but it's it's the same uh, thing. And it's—I hate to use the word clever, but it's a clever strategy if you don't if you just want to muddy the
0: waters. Yeah, it's a manipulative Um, strategy.
1: A manipulative is a better word. I
0: think clever gives it too much credit. It's very manipulative. And sadly, what we've learnt is is, is we as as a British public can be very easily manipulated. Yeah, gosh. It's like an abusive relationship, though, isn't it? If you think about it, it's like we can get laughed into bed by this guy with funny hair and, uh, you know, we think he's going to be, you know, uh, uh, good for a pint and then he will lie to us and lie to us. And we've actually gone, we you know, he lies, it's fine. It's just what he does. And we're just okay with that now. And I just think it's bananas that as a country we've come to accept that that's okay from our politicians.
1: So do you think it's uh, like Stockholm syndrome? We've, we've, we've started to learn to love that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's quite sad really, isn't it? And terrifying. Gosh. Mm. Well, let's lighten it up on the humorology <laughs> podcast. Good. It is a humorology podcast, I'm so sorry. i taken the tone down.
1: <laughs> no, it's wonderful. I love it.
0: <laughs> exactly. And another thing you've got to laugh about, but what are we doing to ourselves as a country? I do often think, what must other countries think when they look at us? We impose economic sanctions on ourselves. We we pump shit into our own waters. We have the highest. Some of the highest taxes, the highest transport costs, the highest childcare costs. We sign trade deals with other countries that ruin our own industries, fishing, farming. What must people think of us? Yeah, it's going well, isn't it? It's going fabulously.
1: (laughs) You're right, we do have to laugh. Gosh. Oh, well, that's cheered me up. No end. Thanks, Marie. You're welcome. Uh,
0: I did say I think there is a gap in the market for a badge or something you can wear if you're travelling on the continent or indeed anywhere in the world that says, I'm not one of those morons that voted Brexit (laughs) or I'm not one of those idiots that voted Tory. I think there should be something you can use or have because I was in France recently. And I'm, um, but I don't want them to hear my accent and assume I'm some, you know, Brexit voting moral.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I, I was in Budapest and I, I, I nearly got punched for being an English um, uh, football hooligan. First of all, <laughs> which, as you can see, I look like a, a football hooligan because, uh, <laughs> and I had to, I had to go up to a very big bloke and say, I'm Scottish and Hungarian. Mm.
0: And, uh, what were you and, doing to uh, make him think that, Paul?
1: I don't know. He just heard uh, me and my son and my um, brother who lives in Hungary talking and uh, we were talking about football and it was, you know, and he just automatically made this leap. He'd had Mm. a couple of drinks at the same Mm. time. Mm -hmm. So what makes you laugh, Marina?
0: What makes me laugh? I I think I, I do love British humor. I do love sort of very dry, witty people, sarcasm, that type of thing. When I was younger, it was your typical little slapstick stuff. I used to love love a bit of, you know, you've been framed, Beatles about that type of thing. Faulty Towers. Only Fools and Horses still makes me laugh now. My favourite Only Fools, and yeah, well, there's that bit. <laughs> My favourite, though, episode of Only Fools and Horses is... Oh. Um, <sighs> Tony, what's the guy? The entertainer. And he can't pronounce his R's when he's singing on stage. Read, the, yeah, um, and he does <laughs> <quieting>. <laughs> oh, <where are> you? <laughs> that is my favourite uh, episode. Every time I see that, it makes me uh, laugh. I think. It yeah, it's
1: it's and it's an Italian name, isn't it? It's Tony. The Tony. Um, yeah. Oh. Oh. Oh, but he's well,
0: uh, but even though that's pretty, you know, when he takes off the clothes and he's just got that one triangle of deep tan and he's got the wig and he's got the medallion and it's brilliant, actually.
1: It's no, it's brilliant. a great, great episode, a great, mm. great episode. And So now we've talked, you're on the borders of politics all the time listening to it and we talked about certain people not being funny, but do you think everybody has the potential to be funny?
0: I think they do if they have the confidence, like you say, because I think it requires a degree of confidence to be funny because you're putting yourself out there not to be funny. and to put out a joke and not be laughed at, a bit like my, uh, my cousin's husband. He's got a hit rate of about, I'd say, 10 percent. He puts out 10 jokes, maybe one will one will like land. But actually, he's quite, and it's quite nice to be in his company because at least you know they're coming, even if they're not that funny all the time, even the attempt is funny. But you've got to have confidence to do that because if a joke, does, joke doesn't land, it can be quite orcs. Um, but also, I think you need to be in a good, a good place mentally to be able to laugh a bit easier. I, I know, for example, if you're having a bad day and I watched that series of Only Fools and Horses that I mentioned, it's harder to laugh than if I've had a good day and I watched that episode of Only Fools and Horses.
1: Can it actually change you, though? I mean, do you put it on as, in inverted commas, therapy? So, you know, laughter therapy, that you actually put something that you know is guaranteed to to shift your state?
0: Do you know what? If I had more time, I probably would have something that I would turn to for laughter therapy. But at the moment, every second, every minute is of the essence. So sadly, I don't have that luxury.
1: Well, I, I prescribe the Humorology podcast mm. three times a week. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I'm a doctor. <laughs> um, so if I asked you to write, because you work in business, you've worked in the city um, thing, and if I asked you to write a business case for humour, mm. I E why should humor be valued in business or what would
0: you include in that business case If you're in a business case you're trying to you're trying to convince people that it's worth worth investment right there's going to be a return on investment And what I would say is that humor will give you the best return because You will be able to take people on a journey with you. They'll be able to um, buy into whatever it is you're trying to do with them, whether it's a new uh, project or whatever. Um, And I also think it means people will be receptive, whether that's your stakeholders or even the people you are delivering the product to, your customers, for example. So I would say there's absolutely a business case for it. Um, But if it fits, like there's, there's nothing worse sometimes than seeing someone try to be funny. Uh, like, you know, look you look at David Brent as a character in the office, right? An absolutely stellar character. Try desperately to be funny at moments when it wasn't appropriate. When he, he, didn't, he couldn't read the room. The room's not ready for a joke or they're not warm to him. So then it's never going to land. So I think just, there's, there's a, there's an almost like a set of ingredients the timing needs to be right for humor. and I think that's down to emotional intelligence to understand when is the right time to be funny.
1: do you Do you think that includes listening? I mean, and I'm not just talking with the ears, I'm talking with the eyes, you talk. that's what I think emotional intelligence is is reading the person, reading the room, as you said.
0: Absolutely. And I think not enough people listen. I mean, my husband would probably say, I'm terrible at listening. <laughs> I, uh, my husband is a a real thinker and he, he's very analytical, and sometimes I, while waiting for him to come, reach his conclusions, I sort of jump in and I finish his sentences for him, which he finds really irritating. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I think emotional intelligence is, is really important. And yes, use your, your, use your ears in the ratio that you were given them. You can give them two ears and one mouth, use them in that ratio.
1: I think we might have shared the same grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> the, it, my grandmother said exactly the same to me. God gave you two ears and one mouth in mm. that ratio for a reason. <laughs> and look at both of us. How much do we both talk?
0: I know, I know. We didn't listen. We didn't pay attention. Sorry, <laughs> nonna. <enough. laughs>
1: Marina, we've reached a part of the show which we like to call quickfire questions. Sounds you good. can't wait, can you? No, brilliant. <laughs> Quick five
0: questions.
1: Who is the funniest business person that you've met? Uh,
0: do you know what I would say? So, actually, I back in the day in two thousand and six, I did a season working abroad for Club eighteen thirty. Now, yes, now I wasn't a holiday rep. I think I need to caveat, but I was the office girl in Zanti, and my boss and the director of the resort at the time was a guy called. What you called him Screech. And he was one of the best bosses I have, I've had brilliant leadership style, but also one of the funniest men I've ever met. And I'm still in contact with him now, many, many years later. So for, for me, he would be the ultimate. In fact, he's a perfect example of a boss who was respected, who was firm, but everyone wanted to do really well for work really hard for because he was such fun to be around. And his I name really was really Screech. Screech. He was known as Screech, but Steve Alice is his name. Yes. Oh,
1: okay. I was. I was thinking that's a perfect comedy name.
0: Well, he used to look like Screech from Saved by the Bell. That's how he goes. Oh, his, yeah. That's oh, okay.
1: how he got his name. Well, uh, Club Eighteen Thirty, and I don't know if we could actually use this gag anymore because uh, it was so of its time. But their advertising campaigns were legendary. And that there was an advertising campaign in London, which just had a huge billboard, which just had the words, spend two weeks on some bloke's boat. (laughs) Which, for those of us who don't know Cockney
0: rhyming slang, go Mm, and look it up. mm, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's a shame. Their bar crawls and their cabarets and their boat parties were legendary. Legendary.
1: I never got to go. So, no, and uh, I'm so
0: glad that they're not around anymore because I have, I'm have the mother of a son now, and I would want him to go nowhere near that type of holiday.
1: <laughs> well, I have a 21-year-old son, so if they were, I'm pretty sure he'd be Good there. <laughs> <laughs> what book makes you laugh?
0: This is a really lame one, but I used to love the Garfield books. You know the little Garfield, right? Garfield yes. books? Just thought, again, really dry, and I loved Garfield's character, and he was just such a miserable, a bit like Jack D, but in the cat world, miserable, sort of hilarious, dry, sort of uh, thinking, by the way. He was never talking, he was always thinking. I used to love those books as a kid, and I collected them. I think that shows you that now I don't read funny books. I only read very serious books. If you look at the stash on my bedside table, it's all about... um, why we get the worst politicians and the death of democracy and <laughs> uh, the tyranny of merit. So nothing particularly humorous in my reading collection right now. Maybe I need to change that, Paul. T- t- time
1: for some Garfield.
0: Yeah, I think so. I'll get them back. I'll go to mum and dad's house and I'll pick them up from my shelf. What
1: film makes you laugh?
0: Um, the Wedding Singer I really liked. I loved, um, is it John, what's his name, John Buscemi? Who's the character? Who's the Buscemi. actor who, yeah. yeah, I think his character in that is absolutely brilliant. Uh, oh, what else? I can't think now. Again, I don't. I need to. I need to start doing more things with levity in them because I think I'm becoming well, far too serious. You do have a
1: small child as well, this is true. and a this job, is true. and have uh, taken Twitter by storm, and, and a podcast, and
0: TV. I've got another one due in six weeks, Paul.
1: A podcast or a child. <laughs>
0: A, 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 a child <laughs> i've got another child the, the next podcast is out next week thank you thank you very much so
1: oh all go. oh that's wonderful and uh, and do we know what's what's coming or is it a surprise
0: Do so i've got a little boy who is 21 months and this is oh. a little girl so i've got the full oh. Compliment. oh
1: fantastic i know oh please tell me that's a humorology podcast exclusive
0: it, the fact that it's the girl is actually not the fact that I'm having a baby, but yes, it is.
1: Oh, well, congratulations. That's lovely um, news. That's oh, really legit. sweet. Oh, mm. that's really... Um, We're going to take a complete shift to the other side now. And, and I'm going to ask a question that I ask all my guests, which is what's not
0: funny? <sighs> what's not funny, I think, is when. Uh, I think there's certain times people like, and don't get me wrong, he can be funny, but if you look at people like Frankie Boyle, who sometimes push a little bit too far in in a certain direction, and Ricky Gervais has actually been guilty of this as well. And I am a big fan of Ricky Gervais. I've been to see him a few times. The same as Jimmy Carr, they've all got the potential to just go a few too many inches below the belt. And it's more of a shock than a than a laugh, and so I think that that's where the, I think there are certain things you just don't talk about when it's you know disabilities or if we sort of just like we saw at the um what was the it was the Oscars where we saw Chris is it Chris Rock. Rock yeah take the piss out of alopecia for me I think it's absolutely fine to take the piss out of people for choices they make for their behaviour things that they have control over. I don't know that it's funny to take the piss out of people for things that they don't have in their control, like disabilities or like hair loss, or for example, or weight, things like that, as being or their appearance. This actually thing on Twitter I really don't like is that if I go at someone like a Tory MP, even Boris Johnson, whoever, I never comment on their appearance. I think there's just certain things are off limits. There is enough to go on there to insult. Without having to touch upon someone's appearance, so I think things like that are probably just not that funny.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, coming from a comedy background, uh, my my only issue with that is this is a personal thing, and we we can talk about punching up, punching down, which I think is what you're talking about. But who's going to police this stuff? I mean, I, I would argue that you have to allow this, of course. Or, it's a,
0: it's a supply and demand thing right so but,
1: and it's also a personal opinion which is what the question's about is personally yeah. you find those things slightly yeah.
0: difficult and this is what and this is what's wonderful right I don't I not like I find them difficult I just don't enjoy them particularly so what do oh, I do I don't watch them I don't go to see bigger. Frankie Boyle although I think he's actually toned himself down and I quite like sometimes his takedowns of the Tory party I won't go and see people like that if I think they're a bit too it's a bit like I mean, obviously Jim Davidson is, is not even that funny, but I wouldn't go and see him because of certain, that I just think his jokes are shit and also he's a right-wing toss bot. So, I, you know, that I've got the choice. I'm not saying he should be cancelled at all. And in fact, I don't like this cancel culture because it flies in the face of, of of free speech. And I, if we're going to say, if we're going to really be bastions of free speech, it needs to be free for people that we think are abhorrent as well as those that we think are on side.
1: Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's I mean, I don't mind when people say personally, I don't like this, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, once we get into somebody is in charge of deciding what we can and cannot hear, then we're in a very, very tricky situation. Which
0: is the Tory party now. We've now got this person, I think they've just put up um, given a role to someone just last week who is now policing who can and can't speak at universities. Is that what really? need to do? Yeah who can and can't be platformed at universities um forced to a new recruit. <laughs> so it, yeah, free speech when it suits basically.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I think that's really what's not funny is people who actually try and get in the way of free speech.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that That's a personal thing. What word makes you laugh, Marina?
0: Oh gosh, do, do other people feel on the spot when you ask these questions, just me? Uh,
1: I no, didn't It's fine. It's just you know. It, you don't even have to answer it. It's just like what what you know what with a, a twenty one year month old uh, child. Mm. Soon the word poo is going to make you <laughs> laugh quite a lot.
0: Uh, he's started being quite funny, but he uses a word that's not funny in a funny way. Bear in mind, he is twenty months old. He's only just grasping a few words. Yeah, he's managed to. It's almost like he's taking the piss out of me when he does this. He's learned how to say don't back to me. And he goes, don't, don't, as if he's just mocking me. And then he goes and does what I tell him not to do anyway, like drop his porridge on the floor. Don't, don't, mummy, don't. <laughs> so that's rather funny. Well, what, to do you know
1: to Oh, no, no, there you go, the word don't. You're the first person ever to choose the word don't. But I will tell you an interesting, well, I hope it's interesting fact about don't, because don't, in psychological terms, is a negation. And when you tell children um don't drop your porridge on the floor they hear drop your for- porridge on the floor and then they d- hear don't oh
0: good what do i say to him then what's the word i keep think, what's the your porridge, porridge
1: in your bowl do you see what i mean That's it's really about up. turning that around and, uh, and everything. So in, in psychological terms, it's called a negation that you can't negate. And by the way, you know, if you're, if you're going into to negotiate with your boss, don't think about giving me a, a huge rise, mm. you know, actually works in, the, in, in that way as well.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Me and you might have to have a catch up afterwards about just about parenting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. A one-to-one yeah. one
0: session. What sound makes you laugh? Uh, <laughs> this is so juvenile but when my little one breaks wind we but we laugh very much because he finds it so funny and so I find it funny but um don't enjoy it when adults do it My 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 brother is very free and loose with it he, you know he's three years older than me he's a 40 something and he finds it hilarious when he does it around the table I'm like that's not you know not when we're eating but when my son does it he's 20 months 21 months and yeah you know, cute that's that's fine
1: yeah, and uh, and it's uh, it's the funniest thing in the world to a child. Yeah. And then when they laugh, it's just you know, it's music. Your it? Oh, it's music, yeah. you know. And and that's probably the sound as well that makes, um, yeah, in tandem with with the farts. But farts, yeah. pretty much everybody <laughs> thinks we farts never are grow funny. out of that, do we? <laughs> no, farts are always funny. Although uh, we don't in my uh,
0: marriage, we don't do that in front of each other in our marriage. Retain well, no, an air of mystery.
1: <laughs> good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely a good idea. Mm. So, um, would you rather be considered clever or funny?
0: Does it have to be an either or? No,
1: there are no rules on the humorology podcast.
0: Oh, because you don't just want to be funny, but like a, a douchebag. So, <laughs> if I had to pick one, I'd say clever. Well.
1: But then mm. you, you see most people, well, just about all people. I've never met uh, a comedian who isn't also clever. No, you have enough. to be. I think you yeah. have to be. Yeah. So, so I. It's kind of a trick question, really, mm. isn't it? Mm, yeah. But, I, but if you can be funny, you're pretty much guaranteed that you're 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 firing some really good neurons in your brain.
0: Yeah. Um, because I, I, to the quick quick witted people for me. There's a real attractiveness about it. There's a like humor, you know, the ability to laugh, to laugh people into bed. It's because it is so attractive. There is, you're right, there is an the intelligence thing there, the quick witted thing. It's being able to deliver to, to captivate people. Um, and to make someone laugh is a real, it's a, it's a powerful thing. Well, what you're doing is you're making them
1: do an involuntary act. Mm-hmm. So that's actually quite telling, isn't it? Because then if you think in the biological, in biological terms of biological imperative, aren't you going to choose somebody who is, um has uh, superpowers, if you like?
0: Yeah, I have, Paul, in back in the day, I have fancied some appalling looking men who were just very funny, very funny, but just God, nothing to look at at all. Probably... It feels harsh but you know a one or two on the scale Or really fancied them because they were funny why do you well, I think i don't think women have that in reverse do they uh,
1: no no, no i don't well no, no it's because men are very very thin skinned
0: <laughs> shallow is the
1: word shallow is the word <laughs> i'm looking for but thank you thank you for pointing it out as well <laughs> um, just just so we're clear not all men all not right. all
0: hashtag or not as <laughs> asterisk, not all men.
1: <laughs> and finally, Marina, desert island gags. You can only take one joke with you to a desert island. What is it?
0: I've got I've got one, but again, it's so juvenile and it's from my youth, but it's just one that sticks in my head <laughs> and is probably not funny at all. But um the number naught and the number eight are walking down the street, and the number naught turns to number eight and says, "Why are you wearing your belt so tight?" <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I don't know why. I loved that one since I was a kid. Just cute and just oh, it's
1: cute. And I actually didn't see it coming. I'd never heard that gag, and I,
0: I think I've heard
1: most of them. Um, oh, Marina Perkins, thank you so much for being a wonderful guest with a great gag on the Humorology podcast. Thank you for having me on, Paul. The Humorology Podcast was hosted by Paul Barros, produced by David Rose. Music by Steve Hayworth, creative direction by Les Hughes, and additional research by Helen Sykes. Please remember to subscribe, like, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Big Sky Production.